have somebody on your way down, invite them to life group, why not? I hear zero high fives happening. Thank you. Okay. This better. You guys thankful for Megan? You guys uh, thankful that literally here in Texas, you can feel winter coming. I was standing outside. It was raining. It was muggy. And the wind blew. And all of a sudden, it's cold. And I was like, God bless this state. You know what I mean? What a special place. What a special, special place. Can't wait for tonight uh, with Megan. Man, let's just pray that the rain stops and the city allows us to have fire pits because it will be cold. And in uh, youth, okay, because now I'm your youth pastor, Liz and I uh, have a special costume. You want to be there to see it, okay? It is epic. Epic. You will not be disappointed. We will be taking pictures if you want. All right. Um, okay. Well, uh, today uh, we are in week three of a collection of talks where we've been leaning into what does it look like for us to really live through the lens of the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee in the Old Testament was a season of great expectation and great grace for the people of God. That's what it was. And it was this time where they would literally have every aspect of their life be touched by grace. It it was a complete reset of the economics of the city. Debts were canceled. Relationships were restored. Things happened in people that caused God's kingdom to work through them and around them. And we are in a season where we're saying, God, we want to live in Jubilee. Amen. We want to live. Jesus made a way for every day, not just every 50 years. He made a way for every day to be a season of Jubilee. We read this week in and week out over this collection of talks in Isaiah 61, Jesus' declaration to the People, I have come, the Messiah is here. He reads Isaiah 61 and it says he is to declare the year of the Lord's favor. That is to declare Jubilee, a year of the favor of our God. Our God makes all things new. We serve God and I'm thankful that He is in the middle of our story, and that story is a story that has new life in the middle of it. Chapter after chapter, the stories of our lives in God is him restoring ashes and turning them into beauty. It's taking moments of great pain and trial and somehow in the mystery of the kingdom bringing peace and Joy, we serve a God who turns our mourning into dancing. And and, and you're probably here because you've experienced that. You you battled the weather. I always like to say, if you come to church when it's raining outside, that's like bonus points in heaven. I I don't know if there's bonus points in heaven, but you know what? If there are, you got a couple today. You had to. And you, and you battled through the weather, you battled through the challenges of getting your kids out the door if you have family, you, you battled through the traffic that somehow gets wonky. Why does everyone forget to, how to drive? Uh, 
when it rains. You battled through that because God has done something in you that has transformed you. And you're here because of that moment or you're here because you're desperate for it. We're really all here for the same reason. We're here to encounter the living God, maybe for the first time, maybe for the thousandth time, because we serve a God who meets us and restores us. And to be a human means to need restoration. Right? We are all in need of restoration. And today we're going to be leaning into an aspect of our Need for restoration that is oftentimes not talked about in church. Can we stretch our minds and hearts together into a topic that might feel like, wow, is this a sermon? And I just want to tell you, uh, trust me, um, because you're going to like where we land. Because what we're going to be talking about today is what does it look like for us to be restored in our emotions? What does restoration look like in our emotional life in our emotional health and uh here's what i know about emotions we all have them and most of us have no idea what to do with them right we we all have them we just don't know what to do with them and so today my goal is that we get a little god perspective on on how to deal with our inner world are you excited about that All right, are you with me? Okay, I got one person who's excited. Now, let me set some ground rules today. What today is not is me doing a deep dive into your personal psyche and answering all of your questions in your life about why you feel what you feel. You're probably going to leave with a few unanswered questions about why you feel what you feel, but that's okay because this journey into understanding our emotions is not a quick solution. It's, it's a roadmap to restoration. It's something that we are beginning. It's a process that we're beginning today um, so that we can start to maybe rightly see what we feel um, throughout our lives. And, and look, you've seen me over the past couple of weeks. I'm an emotional guy. If you haven't been here, let me let you in. These things have happened at church. I've cried. This is all within the last month. I've cried. I've, I've gotten really passionate. I've laughed, right? I, I'm an emotional person. I, I feel things really, really big. And I've said this before. Now that's called being authentic. But growing up, that was called being soft. Any, any homies in the house, right? It was not like cool, in high school, to be the weepy bro, okay? Like, that, that did not do a lot for me. I didn't feel positive about the fact that I cried in almost every movie. It didn't matter if it was Rudy, if it was Remember the Titans. It didn't matter if it was Dawson's Creek, that terrible TV show. <laughs> I would find myself in tears. I had this moment and where my buddy surprised me at my house in high school. I'm watching Dawson's Creek. You don't want to be caught by your friend watching Dawson's Creek. I'm watching Dawson's Creek steer uh, tear-stained cheeks, okay? Like, you could see the salt lines. It's like, obviously, I've been crying. He knocks on the door. I open the door. He's like, bro, what, what is going on? I'm like, I don't know. And guess what? We, didn't, we still have not said another word about that. <laughs> Why? Because not only do we not know what we feel, we have no idea what to do when people start feeling around us. 
We, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to respond. You ever been with somebody and they just like spontaneously start weeping and you're like, okay. Right? Do I say something? Do I touch them? Do I hug them? Am I there for them? Do I give them space? We ask those questions because guess what? We don't know what we need when we feel what we feel. We, we have no idea what it is that we're supposed to do, why we're feeling what we're feeling, or let alone where we're supposed to go with what we're feeling. Now, let me just say, some of you right now are going, okay, cool, I'm making it out of today because this is not applicable to me because I'm not emotional, right? And this is not just the homies. This, this, sometimes dudes can get a bad rap like, oh, yeah, man, we don't know what we feel, man, we don't know. How you doing? Fine, man. You good? Yeah, I'm good. That's like the, that's an emotional conversation with dudes, right? That's like, whoa, man, you, you went somewhere, you know? Like, we really went somewhere. Like, there's a comedian that makes a joke about how he goes and plays golf with a buddy of his who recently got divorced. And he comes home, and his wife is like, hey, how's Joe? He's fine. Is he, how's he doing with the divorce? I don't know. Is he dating anybody? I don't know. I know he has a new driver. But we don't know how to talk about what we feel. We don't, we don't know what to do with what we feel. And I, I think it's important that we understand that even though we don't maybe have language for it, maybe you don't call yourself a big feeler, you do have emotions, and undealt with emotions leads to pain and confusion. Undealt with emotions always leads the same direction, and that's pain and confusion. And so what we are wanting to do today is begin to understand why we feel what we feel. And we're going to do that by looking at God's intention for our emotions. God's intention for our emotions, because without it, we will find ourselves on that road, that very familiar common road of pain and confusion. And, and I want to start in the beginning of it all in Genesis 1. If you have a Bible, I want you to go there. I want you to read the Bible with me. If you don't have your Bible, that's cool. Bring it next week. I want you to hold your Bible in your hands. I think it matters that you know where things are in the Bible. I love Google. I love all the Bible study tools. But, man, there's something about the old school open up the book and, and reading the words. And so let me encourage you, if you need a Bible, we have free ones for you. Um, we're also going to have the scripture on the screen, as you know. Uh, but let's, let's uh, together bring our Bibles to church. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. Just let that sit for a minute. In the beginning, God. One of the most profound, if not the most profound, four words in the entirety of the Bible. In the beginning, God. God needed nothing to be. He existed before everything because he is God. Isaiah in Isaiah 40 is trying to answer this unanswerable question of who is like our God. This God who is there before anything was there. And he says this, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his 
hand or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens. Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance. Now just for a second because you guys seem like you're a little sleepy. Maybe because it's, it's a little wind. It's a little wintry outside now. Like we're going to go back to, to, to kids church really quick. And let's just say it together. Our God is so big, so strong and so mighty. Do you know this song? Are y'all there? I see faces, but I don't hear anything. Our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing our God cannot do for you. Our God is huge. He's huge. He's bigger than our problems. I mean, I'm serious. I think Genesis 1 could solve us all a lot of pain. Because we feel overwhelmed by what we're going through most of the time, right? You know what feeling overwhelmed is? Is that what's coming at you, you feel like it's bigger than what's inside of you. And, and God is saying, I am big. I'm bigger than the anxiety that you feel. I'm bigger than the questions you have in life that you don't feel like you have the answers to. I'm bigger than that. I am, I am so big. There is nothing, there is no one in your life that is bigger than Almighty God. He is the beginning and the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega and in the beginning of time, before there was anything, God was existing in all of his glory and all of his power and all of his majesty. He was just existing over the earth. Now, I got to be honest with you, Genesis 1 will solve all of our problems and Genesis 1 is a barrier to our faith. Because we live in a time, and I'm going to be frank with you, we live in a city that likes to translate Genesis 1 into, in the beginning... Me. And so right out the gate, God is saying, no, I'm in the middle of your story. You're not in the middle of your story. I'm in the middle of your story. In the beginning, God, the first sentence of the first chapter in the Bible is calling us to take ourselves out of the middle of the story of our life and put God in the middle of it. Man, and there are so many idols in culture, sex, money, fame, influence. But truthfully, there is one that stands above them all, and it's the idol of ourselves. The idolatry of me. We are now told that what you feel is more real than what is actually true. This has now become normal. If you don't like it, you just don't have to believe it. We don't have truth anymore. What do we have? My truth. Our culture worships the God of ourselves. Our culture tells us to put ourselves in the middle of the story of our lives. If you 
don't think that you're a person and you're a cat, cool. This is real. This is real. This, this, this is happening at the school where I substitute teach. They're called furries. This is a thing. And no one is telling them, no, sweetie, you're not a cat. But think about it. God created us, and when he created us, what did he do to us? He put identity on us. So if we say that, no, 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 God is not the beginning, I'm the beginning, then we put identity on ourselves. It's the progression of the human heart revolving around the master that we serve. God puts identity on us, but when we put our identity on us, our identity will shift around everything and anything that we feel in the moment. And so we just say, okay, well, yeah, you can think that you are whatever it is that you think that you are, and we are living in the chaos. Like, there's chaos in culture right now. Are you with me, church? There is chaos in culture right now. It is wild. It is wilder than the Wild West. The battlefield. The battlefield, especially that our kids are walking into every single day to exist as an identified follower of Jesus is real. In a lot of ways, the 21st century church is starting to look a lot like the 1st century church. It is no longer the cultural norm to have a set of moral values that are based on the Bible and what the Bible says is true. You are now an outlier just like the church in the 1st century was. You are believing and living from a system that is countercultural to where you are living and existing. In Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God, you have to understand, this is a barrier to our faith. At the root of following Jesus is a decision. Is he king or am I king? There's no gray. There's no middle. It's either he's boss or your boss. In the beginning, God existing in all of his glory and strength and his power and beauty and majesty before there was you before there was me before there was air breath water to drink he was there god in all of his glory and strength god is in the middle of the story he is the beginning and he will be the end in the beginning, God, he created the heavens and the earth and all that's in it. And then jump down to verse 26. And it says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. In our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over the livestock, the wild, the wild animals, Excuse me, and over all the cre creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27 So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created 
them. Wow! Do you ever look in the mirror and say, I am made in the image of God? Think about that for a minute. The living God, almighty God, you were made in his image. Not just some parts of you, every part of you, including your emotions. Including what you feel and how your insides work and all of those things. We are made in the image of God. Understanding why we feel what we feel. It's not about looking in. It's about looking up. You hear what I'm saying? If you want to understand what's going on in here, you've got to get lost in who he is up here. Because we are made in his image. So it's not about unpacking how we feel. It's about leaning in. God, what do you feel? A.W. Tozer, a pastor and theologian in the 40s, just an absolute stud of a writer. He wrote a book called The Knowledge of the Holy. How many of you have read this little short gem? All right, okay, let me encourage the rest of you. Read it. This is what Tozer says. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Can I just read that again? What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He goes on to say, for this reason... The gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most pretentious fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. To understand who we are, we have to understand who God is, how we see God is everything. Are you with me? How we see him is everything. So the question is, how do we see him? If we're going to agree, which I do with Tozer's statement, that the most important thing about us is actually how we see him, then how do we see him? Do we see him as loving and kind and creative and compassionate and caring? Or do we see him as cold and uninterested and angry and disappointed? Because you will never understand you if you first don't understand him. You will never be able to figure out why you feel what you feel unless you know what God also feels. God feels. God feels. He made us in his image, in his likeness, perfectly. So if you feel it, he feels it. Colossians 1.15 tells us the Son, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. To see God is to see Jesus. The Son... Seeing the sun is the image of the invisible God. To see God is to see Jesus. And Jesus got angry. Jesus got sad. Jesus got happy. God has emotions. He feels what we feel. And he gave them to us, watch this, to be a place of connection for us, first to him and then to one another. Emotions have been given to us to be places of connection. Emotions 
are not a byproduct of sin entering the earth like cats. If you're a cat lover, we will have a deliverance line for you at the end of the service. This is big because most of the time we see emotions as negative. The way we talk about emotions most of the time is negative, right? We apologize for getting emotional, right? We, we oftentimes equate it when we lose our temper or say things that we regret as places where our emotions got away from us. So we again apologize for being emotional. And guess what? Yeah, it's true. Sometimes they do. And in that moment, you let what you felt shape how you behaved. Okay? And that's emotional immaturity. We're going for emotional maturity. To be emotionally mature is not to feel less. It's to know what to do with what you feel. It's understanding why you feel what you feel. It's knowing where to go with what you feel. But when we don't do that, when we don't deal with what we are feeling, our emotions can become weapons of mass destruction. Can we disagree? Our emotions undealt with become WMDs in our relationships. They, they cause explosions that have catastrophic impacts and collateral damage. And this has shaped how we think about emotions. We start to feel like, you know what, to be emotional is to be out of control. And I don't want to be out of control, I want to be in control. And so if I feel out of control when I feel something, then I must need to bury what I'm feeling. I must need to deny what I'm feeling. I need to hide what I'm feeling. Because again, we think being emotionally healthy looks like being less emotional. But that's not true. That's not true. Emotional health is understanding what we feel, why we feel it, and where to rightly go with it. Remember, the purpose of our emotions is connection, not mass destruction. You were made in the image of God for relationship with God. What did God do with Adam and Eve before sin entered the earth? He would come down from heaven and he would walk to connect with them in the garden every single day. Day We were made in the image of God to be connected to God, and sin has separated that. And our lack of understanding of why we feel what we feel, what we feel, and where to go with what we feel creates this thing in us where we think we need to feel less to get back to the original design of God, but it's actually not true. Emotional maturity and emotional health is not feeling less. It's knowing how to deal with what we feel so they don't become WMDs, weapons of mass destruction in our relationships with each other and relationships with God. But they become, you ready for this? POCs. Come on, I'm a preacher, man. This is what I do. I sit around all week and I think about how I can make things three letters. POCs, places of connection. 
They don't need to be WMDs, weapons of mass destruction. Our emotions need to be POCs, places of connection. And you might be thinking like, hey, that's a great idea, Pastor. I love the idea of that. But how in the world am I supposed to do that? Great question. I'm so glad that you asked that. And it comes to another thing that I came up with this week. I call them the three W's to turn your WMDs into POCs. All right, and I just need to write that down. Your three W's to turn your WMDs into POCs, and it's very simple. The first thing is we need to know what we feel. First W in turning your WMD emotions into POC emotions is knowing what we feel. Um, let's be honest, this is hard. If you've ever tried to actually figure out what it is that you're feeling, you realize you never feel just one thing. Emotions are not linear. Emotions are like a spaghetti bowl. So you can't pull on one without affecting all of the other ones. But what I have found in my life is there's usually one core driving emotion when I get hit with some emotional shockwave. I just get hit with something Big And here's the deal. It's important that we know how to identify what it is that we're feeling. Because if we misidentify it, then there's no way for us to understand the second W, which is why are we feeling it? Here's an example. I might feel angry because of something that you did to me. But when I stop and use the power of the pause and say, what exactly am I feeling? I might realize, you know what? I'm not angry. I'm actually hurting. And dealing with anger and dealing with hurt are two completely different things. And this is what leads to emotional distance in relationships. Because we say that we are angry when really we are hurting. And so this person is trying to go in and apologize for making you angry when really what your soul needs is them to connect with you in your pain. And so how do we begin to identify what we're feeling? Well, we've got a nice little tool here that is called the core emotions graph. Can I get a round of applause? This is a very simplified version of your core emotions. Everyone, scientists and smarter people than me, say that this is kind of what we all feel are these things. And so how you learn to identify what it is that you're feeling is you start to pay attention to what you're feeling in non-big emotion moments. You have to learn the language before you get in a fight. Right? You ever tried to fight with somebody in a language that you don't speak? It turns into a lot of... I don't know how to get anywhere with that, but when we don't have the emotional language to speak, that's why sometimes we can't get over some hurdles in our relationships and our emotions turn into weapons of mass destruction instead of places of connection. And so a simple tool that you can do is every day set an alarm, maybe a couple alarms throughout your day, and simply just say, you know what, right now, what do I feel? Do I feel joy? Do I feel angry? Do I feel shame? Do I feel guilt? And just taking some time and pausing and asking yourself, what am I feeling? Because guess what? You, again, you might be like, oh, I'm not emotional. Yes, you are. 
Everyone is. Everybody is. And oftentimes it's those who would say that they're not emotional. You just got to get them in the right moment with the right pressure and you will discover they are emotional. They might not be as daily connected to what they feel, but they're feeling. There's things happening. And so when we take time and we every day learn the language of what it is that we're feeling, it helps us know what we're feeling. Because we can't get into the second W, which is why am I feeling this if we first don't rightly know what it is that we are Feeling and why is a big one because when we get our why wrong, this is where the WMDs have collateral damage. When you get the why wrong, and let me give you an example you've had a hard day at work, it was stressful, things did not go well, you had some challenging meetings, you got some very disappointing and disruptive news, and the whole drive home, you've been in evaluation mode about everything that did not go right that day. And maybe you had some big expectations for that day and you were like hoping things were going to go well. And so you are driving home in evaluation mode, feeling like a failure, feeling hopeless, feeling filled with hurt and sadness. Maybe you feel like you're alone, you're scared at the future, you're feeling all of these things. And then you come home and your spouse looks at you and says, hey, why didn't you take the trash out? All of a sudden, we have a nuclear explosion because why we were feeling what we were feeling had nothing to do with what my spouse was saying. But when you get your why wrong, the collateral damage becomes catastrophic. Because now, all that I'm feeling, I'm going to point towards my spouse when they were just asking me a question, but because I didn't know what I was feeling and why I was feeling it, I didn't know where to rightly go with it, which is the third W. If you don't know where to go with what it is that you're feeling, then we will direct it at the wrong thing, and it will lead to pain and confusion in our lives. If we want to see our emotional life come become places of connection with God and others and not these moments of mass destruction, we have to know what we're feeling, why we're feeling it, and where to go with it. And, and I want to end by leaning into the life of David. Can we do that? Can we do that? Okay. I want to lean into the life of David because David was emotional. David was very emotional. If you read through the Psalms, you read through 1 and 2 Samuel, you can see, man, David felt a lot. David had extreme emotions. David would say extreme things out of his emotions. David was a big feeler. David's inner world could be equated to an emotional roller coaster more than some steady emotional person. Yet God looked at David and said, this is a man after my own heart. 
And I think it's because it wasn't just that David was a big feeler. David knew how to identify what he was feeling, why he was feeling it. And most importantly, here was David's secret sauce. He knew where to go with it. He knew that I need to go to God with what I'm feeling before I start leaning into and, dare I say, blaming those around me for what I'm feeling. Listen to this psalm that David wrote, Psalm 142. There are a lot of psalms like Psalm 142. It's actually called a psalm of lament. Psalms of lament are different than psalms of thanksgiving. Psalms of lament are are David and the other authors within the psalms pouring out what they were feeling, why they're feeling it, and they're directing it to where all of our emotions are supposed to go. And that's to God. It says this, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. And when my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watches over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden snares for me. Look and see. There is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I feel lonely. I feel Angry, you left me. I feel fearful. They're hiding to ensnare me. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. See, David is saying, I feel all of these things, but I know where to go with what I'm feeling. And that's to get God in view bigger than the problems that are making me feel what it is that I am feeling. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison. How many of you feel like you're in a prison in your emotions? Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of what? Your goodness to me. What a great verse. If you just read verse 7. Then the righteous will gather around me because of your goodness to me. That sounds like a psalm of thanksgiving. But that's not a psalm of thanksgiving. That's a psalm of lament. Because David is channeling all that he is feeling towards heaven and listen to me church our emotions will not be overwhelming if we are confident in the character of the God that we serve if you're confident in who he is you're confident in his bigness if you rest in the fact that in the beginning it was God it was not you it's not up to you it is God it is up to God, it doesn't matter what we feel. It doesn't matter why we feel it, because where we're going with it, the Lord is our refuge. 
He's our portion in the land of the living. Emotional health starts with being open with God. Starts with being open with what we're feeling, asking him for clarity about why we are feeling what we're feeling, and then landing on who he is regardless of what it is that we feel. If we want to see our emotions become places of connection, POCs, and not just these places of mass destruction in our lives, then we have to be like David. We have to go to the Lord with what we're feeling, these, these three W's that will help us learn to connect and not to have destruction. We have to know what we're feeling. We have to know why we're feeling it. And we have to know where to go with it. God wants you to be emotionally healthy. Because when you are, your connection with him grows. Because your emotions were created by God. So that you can connect to God. Amen. Stand to your feet. This morning, um, as always, we're going to have some leaders up here in the front. If you're a leader, just begin to make your way down. Have some leaders up here in the front. If you need prayer for anything, if you just need a touch from heaven, man, if you just need a, one of those eye-opening moments where you encounter the living God, the God that who was in the beginning, who created everything, who holds the oceans, the water of the earth in the, the hollow of his hand, the one who holds the dust of the earth in a basket. If you just need an encounter with him, man, we have some incredible leaders that want to pray for you. I mean, if you don't know Jesus, if you're here because you are desperate to meet the God of restoration, don't leave here without encountering him. It's simple. All you have to do is just come down here, just communicate to one of these amazing leaders, man, I want to give my life to Jesus, and they will answer your questions, and most importantly, they will introduce you to the God way to save you. And so in a minute, we're going to start worshiping. We're going to start praying for each other, and don't let fear stop you from getting what you need. Are you with me, church? We pray for people here at this church. We expect to encounter God here at this church. And if you need an encounter, we are here to stand in the gap with you and say, God, come. Come be my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. But here's the homework for all of us. Are you guys ready for this? This is not just for some of us. This is for all of us. We, this week, are all going to write our own psalm of lament. That's your homework. I want you to take some time and I want you to get before the Lord and I want you to lay it out what it is that you are feeling. I want you to lean into why you are feeling what you are feeling. And then I want you to direct it in the right direction. I want you to land on the almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth. And you point it all to him and you say, but you know what? You are my portion. You are my help. You are the God who is with me in my trouble. You are the one who is never going to leave me or forsake me. You are the one who is with me. No matter how dark it seems, no matter how lonely I feel, nothing can stop who you are. Because here's what's going to happen. You're going to realize that there's some freedom in your emotions. 
they're going to lead to more connection, not just with God, but even with those who are around you because we're all feeling things. We just don't know what to do with them. And when we start to know what they are, what they are why they are, and where to go with them, they turn into places of connection, which is the design of God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this incredible moment that we have to share together. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your unending mercy. And, and Lord, we just ask that today would be the day the Lord has made in all of our lives. That you would come and that you would disrupt our emotional struggles with the clarity of understanding what we feel, why we feel it, and where to go with it. Jesus, we are here because we want to meet you. So let us worship you with our whole hearts because you're the God who restores us. You're the God who heals us. And you're the God who brings emotional health to us. Amen.